0: Your questions about your sexual health and sexual priorities, needs and preferences are the basis of these podcasts. And because of that, I want to answer some really important questions that have come up over the past few weeks since I started doing this podcast. Hi. I'm Dr. Neelima Deshpande, and this is V for Vagina, the podcast that dispels myths and misunderstandings about the vagina and empowers women to embrace their sexual energy, vitality, and well-being. In this podcast, I'm accompanied by Niranjan Medekar, the CEO and founder of Sounds Great, the company that helps me create and market this podcast. Niranjan is an amazing creator, writer, columnist, and an author and his podcast, Sex Verbold Bold Bindast, which is showed on Storytel, is one of the most listened podcasts in Marathi. He's here today to help me sort through the hundreds of questions I've started to get on social media and as well as in response to the podcasts I've done here before. A lot of these questions are very personal, very intimate, and I needed help to sort them out. Thank you, Niranjan, for helping me to answer these questions.
1: Thank you, ma'am. In this episode, we are going to answer and highlight some of the questions that we received from audience related to pregnancy about planning a pregnancy. So here is the first question. How soon can we expect to get pregnant once we stop using any kind of contraception?
0: Thank you for that question. That's a very interesting one. And it really highlights um, the importance of knowing that your age and your circumstances before you actually start trying for a pregnancy is something that your doctor will ask you uh, when you start planning for a baby. This is assuming that you actually go and visit your doctor to talk about pre-pregnancy counselling or advice. But even if you're on your own, it's understanding that if you're In the reproductive age group of anywhere between 20 and 35, then we have the World Health Organization's guidelines about uh, how likely it is that you're going to get pregnant. So when you stop using contraception and you have regular intercourse, which is about two to three times a week, then any couple can expect to conceive within two years. So about 95% of couples will conceive and get pregnant within two years the older you get and if you've had previous pregnancy losses then the chances that your doctor will investigate or test uh, you will increase if you have had any other medical problems before or you are on medication currently also is something that your doctor will want to Uh, call you in and do some tests uh, before they say, okay. go ahead and try for a baby and or how soon they'll review um, you if you've not already become pregnant. So it's very important. I had a a couple who arrived yesterday and they were really, really concerned. Oh, my God, you know, we've we've not used contraception since January and we're still not pregnant. I'm like, well... So, what were you using before? Oh, yes. And that also matters. What contraceptive you were using before also makes a difference. So she says, Oh, ma'am, we were using condoms. I said, Okay. And when did you stop using condoms? She says, Oh, we stopped in December. And when was your period? She says, Oh, I had my first period around the 25th of January. Okay. And when did you do a pregnancy test? I'm doing my pregnancy test every month. I said, Did you miss a period? No. So it's important to understand. Number one, in each cycle, you only release one egg or maximum of two eggs, if both sides of ovaries release an egg. Um, And for an average woman who has about 12 or 13 cycles per year, you don't release an egg in every single cycle. So you might release an egg even at the peak of your fertility, you might be releasing an egg maybe um, eight or nine or 10 times out of the 13 cycles you have in a year. So uh, in each cycle, you have a certain chance of that egg being fertilized, provided you have sex, uh, between uh, the 24 to 48 hours that the egg is alive, which is about 24 to 48 hours after it's released, around mid-cycle. So as long as the sperms are present in your vagina around the time that the ovary releases the egg and it is hanging around in the tube and the sperms have access to your cervix and to the egg in the tube, then the chances of you conceiving and then that pregnancy actually implanting in your womb is about 25%. So it's never 100%. So in every cycle, you don't have a 100% chance of getting pregnant, which means the more often you try, the the, the chances of you getting pregnant is higher. If you have been pregnant before and you've had a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss, also it's a positive sign because it actually tells the doctor who you are visiting or your gynecologist that you can get pregnant. The other thing is uh, we talked about is what contraception they were using. For some contraceptive methods, for example, like the depoprovera or the injection method, um, which can stop your ovary from releasing eggs, it might take you a lag period before you actually start releasing eggs again. Uh, and many times, this is a method that is um, that uh, women who've had a baby already are often prescribed uh, because um, it's a progesterone-only method. And we'll talk a lot more in detail about contraceptives in another episode. But this particular contraceptive method can stop the eggs from releasing, the ovary from releasing eggs. And when uh, you stop using this contraceptive method, it can take between six and eight months for the ovary to start releasing eggs again and for the cycle to return. So it's important to realize which contraceptive you were using before. If at any time you're concerned, if you at any time you're concerned about why you're not getting pregnant or you want to unravel the mystery, please go as a couple and see your doctor for more advice.
1: That's very elaborative, ma'am. Here is the next question from a couple who say, ma'am, we really love traveling. We are foodies and we really enjoy experimenting with alcohol and smoking. And we are going out with friends a lot. But now we want to plan for a baby. How should we be changing our lifestyle so that we have a healthy pregnancy?
0: That is a fascinating question, particularly nowadays, where um, the instances of actually eating out has increased a lot. the The probability that both men and women are experimenting with alcohol, with nicotine, and other recreational drugs has also increased. There are two challenges. One challenge is that. The meaning that these social activities hold for you both as an individual and as a couple and what would happen if you were to change it so what would be the positive outcomes of changing this kind of lifestyle and what would be the negative outcomes of changing this lifestyle is something that you would want to think about. And the second challenge that you'll come across is if you're using these social activities to replace some other kinds of emotional or physical challenges, for example, you don't have a functioning kitchen or you don't like being at home with the people who are in your house, then how are you going to adjust to these challenges once you give up these social activities or you change these social activities to ones that are more mild or, you know, and require that you stay at home or you learn to cook or you are cleaning up your, your diet or your environment. Um, so it's important to think about these before you start to actually remove or add things to your lifestyle. Now, we know from the study, not just of pregnant women, but also of epigenetics, that it's the health state of the, the lady before she gets pregnant that even determines how healthy her pregnancy will be and how healthy her offspring will be. Being in an optimal state of health when you conceive a baby is really, really important. Now, the lifestyle issues that you've highlighted, which is, you know, both alcohol, smoking, recreational drugs, uh, eating out, which includes quite a lot of processed food and food additives, colors and suboptimal quality of food, you are most likely not going to be in the peak of your health. Uh, status. And remember, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. So even if you're going to the gym every day, if the rest of your lifestyle isn't uh, spruced up or tidied up, you won't experience the health benefits, um, even of the exercise you're doing. So uh, my suggestions would be is to look at these beliefs about health, fitness and wellness in order to get pregnant. Understand that you being in the peak physical, mental status is really important for when you actually conceive your baby. And for that reason... I would encourage you to significantly improve your nutritional status, both by including um, significantly improved quantities of fruits, vegetables, meat, fish and egg, especially focusing on their quality and quantity, and then removing um, any of the toxic substances that you've identified, including alcohol, smoking, processed foods, additives. And I would particularly also look at the home environment. So looking if you are moving to cooking in your own kitchen and looking at the utensils you're using, as well as the consumption of processed foods in your kitchen, you know, pre-prepared food, packaged foods, um, the oils, the kind of oils you use for cooking, including um, the kind of utensils you're cooking in, Teflon, plastic coated stuff, uh, plastic containers, and the environment in terms of other toxins present in your environment, the stuff you clean surfaces with that you wash your hands with and how you uh, wash your clothes and your body. So all of this will be affecting um, the environment that you include when you're trying to get pregnant. Um, we also talked a little bit about your psychology and how you change your mindset towards preparing for a baby. I would encourage you as a couple to go and also see the obstetrician or gynecology so that they can give you a prescription for a water-soluble vitamin called folic acid, which is very important for the baby's neurological development. Your doctor will also give you a guidance or a step-by-step plan on how you can become fitter and healthier for your pregnancy. But I think these uh, steps would be really important. And in order to get mentally prepared for a baby, you'd, you'd have to look at all of these uh, ways to make your lifestyle a lot better. There are other things and we might talk about this in another podcast where we're talking about planning for a baby.
1: Okay. So looking for change in lifestyle... It's important for this couple, it seems. So the next question is from a lady who has trouble with painful sex. And one of her fears are, isn't pregnancy and delivery going to be a problem for her?
0: This is a really important question because it almost feeds into the reasons for why she's having difficulty with sex. Mm -hmm. Because it feeds into many, many beliefs that she may have built around the fact that sex is supposed to be painful. Some beliefs that, oh, if you don't bleed uh, when you have sex for the first time, then, uh, you know, your hymen didn't break and you're still a virgin. Or the fact that it has to hurt, you know, for it to be so effective that you'll get pregnant. Sometimes the fear of delivering a baby and just imagining, oh my God, my vagina is so small, as if like you're a different woman from a different planet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, no, all women have babies in the same way. <laughs> Your baby's head is not going to be any bigger than any other kind of woman's. And that the baby's head tends to be proportional to the woman who is delivering it. Uh, so women, you know, sometimes get confused about, you know, how how is it, all this is going to come out of me? And it's going to be terrible. And, you know, I'm going to die. And they may, as children or, you know, when they were growing up, watched films or, you know, even porn films or watched... Um, you know, pictures or programs about labor and delivery. Suddenly, I remember when I was in the UK, there was this program about One Born Every Minute. And on live television, they were filming and screening and showing women having babies. And I got a flood of patients coming to me saying, you know, that program, I definitely can't have a baby because, you know, I can't let anything that big come out of me. I mean, how did it get there in the first place? And I think it's really difficult to understand how a small, tiny, microscopic thing like a sperm can enter the body, go in and fertilize another small microscopic organ or structure like the egg and then uh, that can multiply to form this three kilogram plus structure that's supposed to come out of you and it can be really traumatic to think about it. So uh, to this young lady um, I would suggest that your consultation either with your gynecologist or with your sex therapist will be around the beliefs that are there about how painful sex has to be or how painful pregnancy and delivery needs to be. And we know now that even if you haven't watched any programs about pregnancy or labor or delivery, that pregnancy itself um, is not a sickness, it's not an illness, and it's not a disease. It's a perfectly natural thing that your body has um, experience of for generations and centuries. So your DNA has the information necessary to help you to conceive, have a baby and to deliver. Your concerns about how painful labor needs to be and whether or not you'll be able to cope with delivery is something that you would discuss with your obstetrician as you were going through your pregnancy. Certainly, as you go through your pregnancy, the awareness of the changes in your body, uh, the different kinds of tests and checkups that your doctor will do for you, any kind of discussion around myths and misunderstandings about what's happening inside your body and to your body will be very helpful in mitigating all of these fears. Also know that today, because of, you know, all of the advances in modern medicine, neither labor nor pregnancy nor delivery has to be a painful process. So this is definitely something that I would encourage you to discuss with your gynecologist or obstetrician, even before you plan your pregnancy. And as far as painful sex goes, then your sexologist, sex therapist or gynecologist can help you overcome some of the limiting beliefs around pain with sex. Engaging with a physiotherapist who can also help you to learn about your pelvic floor muscles and how to relax them uh, is an important exercise that you'll be guided through.
1: Okay. The next question is from a man who is absolutely not prepared for fatherhood. So he asks, I don't think I'm ready for this responsibility. How should I talk to my partner about this?
0: This is a fascinating question and it is something I'm seeing more of recently in the couples who approach me regarding their sexual problems. And sometimes... I find that men come to me with complaints either of having difficulty with getting an erection or with not being able to ejaculate or have an orgasm or with loss of desire. Many times in the relationship itself, when I've discussed um, this issue with their partner on their own, it turns out that there is a miscommunication between them about this topic about planning for a pregnancy and everything that it involves. And ideally this is something you would discuss even before you enter into a long-term relationship with someone where you're planning to have children. This is something that is unsaid or has not been discussed. So this comes a lot of it does come under the the rule of premarital counseling. Not even pre it's actually premarital counseling. Talking about your dreams, desires and preferences regarding A, your life path, your career path, uh, your finances, and the baby, of course. Your life situation with regard to your parents and other responsibilities you might have in your family. Now, unless these topics are discussed openly, you'll find that your relationship keeps running up against some sort of blocks. When a couple find that they can't discuss some of these topics openly, it can show up in the bedroom. For example, a man who complains that he can't ejaculate or has trouble having an orgasm or has lost his desire for sex and doesn't want to engage with it anymore. And then I talked to them and I discovered that um, there is a lot of expectation about fathering a child, just like this gentleman, and the fear of taking on the responsibility for another human being, not knowing Whether he has a career plan in place, not having a financial plan in place, not understanding what the reaction of his spouse is going to be when he decides that he's not going to give up his job to look after this baby and his spouse, who is already on a career path of her own, is also not going to give up looking after this baby. So the question is, what is this baby going to do? It's just going to arrive and what are the two of you going to do when this baby arrives? Oh, no, no, we're just going to dump it with our parents. It doesn't work like that. This new human being that you're bringing into the world has certain needs and it nurturing and caring and it needs its parents. So unless the parents have had this discussion, it's going to be really difficult. So to this gentleman, I would say for sure, um, having a baby is not a good idea unless both of you are on the same page. And it begins with being able to have this discussion about what does your spouse getting pregnant or what does being a father mean to you is it something that you're mentally and physically emotionally psychologically financially prepared for and if it isn't then it's definitely not the right time to have a baby it's definitely not good enough to say oh uh, we haven't talked about having a baby we'll discuss it maybe in a year's time It's not good enough to postpone making a decision about an important event like that unless both of you have made that decision, in which case you should have really good contraception on board. Because the worst thing I've seen men go through is having a partner who then becomes accidentally pregnant and then goes through with the pregnancy or um, denies or does not want to have a termination, which is a bad way of uh, planning a pregnancy anyway, but... Then continuing with the pregnancy and the man is left with this resentment that um, adequate precautions weren't taken or the woman manipulated him into a trapped relationship by having a baby because he was sure that the relationship wasn't great anyway. But he only realized it afterwards. So on, on many fronts, it points to the couple having to really address the relationship. Their sense of security and safety within the relationship, how open their communication is and bringing into the open all of these important points that in the way that their lives are going to be affected once the lady becomes pregnant. And this should also include a discussion about their sex life, right? how the coming of the baby is going to affect the fact that the mother is going to be occupied with the baby and may not be able to give the father the attention He needs sexually or uh, in terms of rebuilding or rekindling desire. That's a whole new topic because we'll talk about it in another podcast.
1: Yes. So both the partners should be on the same page when it comes to about baby.
0: Yes. And also understanding that if you are having some sort of Uh, Sexual difficulty or challenges uh, It's important to look at the beliefs And the understandings behind it So the way this gentleman actually asked the question That you know I don't feel ready for A responsibility to have a baby Is a very Mm -hmm. important indicator For why you know he may not be performing In the bedroom or why he may be avoiding Having sex with his partner Or why he may be avoiding having that conversation with his partner
1: Right and the next question is Related to unconsummated marriage So Here is a question. We haven't consummated our marriage yet, but we want to prioritize having a baby. We think that once we have a baby, our relationship will become better. And then we can also automatically try to have better sex.
0: I see this uh, very frequently. Uh, Mm -hmm. And usually this question comes from a couple who have Been either in a very long term, so called love marriage, or they have been in an arranged marriage where there is a lot of pressure from the family to produce a child within a certain time of the marriage. And sometimes they are emotionally manipulated into it because one or the other parent may be sick or ill, or there may be some events happening within the family that put pressure on this couple to produce a child. It's important to understand uh, two things. Number one, nature has its own time line about when and how you'll get pregnant even if you're having regular sex. Number two is babies don't come on demand uh, and uh, that just because you want one doesn't mean it's just going to arrive when you think you're going to get it. Um, in fact, it's really important to understand that if you're very stressed out and you're under a lot of pressure, the chances of you get pre- getting pregnant actually decrease and you can leave aside the fact that you haven't actually consummated your marriage. Uh, That is a whole different challenge. Having said that, there are many couples who come to me and say, oh, you know, we want to first sort out our intercourse and then get pregnant. Or there are couples who say, we don't care about the intercourse as long as we can have a baby. So there's two categories of couples. Let's address the second couple, which is the one who presented this question. Yes, you can decide that you want to have a baby first. It's entirely your choice. It's your body, your life. And you know your life priorities better than your doctor or anybody else. So nobody else has the right to judge you for the choice that you're making about your life and your sexual preferences. Mm -hmm. As long as it's done in an open and considerate manner and both of you want exactly the same thing. Once you've decided, yes, we want to first try for a baby and we don't really worry or we're not really bothered about whether we can have it um, with intercourse or not. It's important to remember that um, semen that splashes on the genitals also contains sperms that are alive and they can get access through the vulva and the vagina and the cervix to any egg that's released by the ovary. And um, the woman can conceive through this method even though no intercourse actually has happened the chances of this happening are small but i've seen enough enough pregnancies this way enough couples who have come to me years after they've had babies trying to rekindle their sexual relationship and get back to being able to have intercourse Um, and there's no denying that this happens Um, in the gynecological world we tend to call it splash pregnancy is also one of the reasons when we're teaching couples about contraception we tell them you know when you're using a condom it needs to be put on before there's any kind of genital contact because even the small drops um, that appear uh, on the tip of the penis before intercourse can also contain millions of little sperms that can go and fertilize the egg. Having said that, there are other methods. So today in assisted reproduction we've got so many different techniques that can help you conceive. There, whether it's intrauterine insemination or IVF or so many different techniques. You would need to go and see your gynecologist to have a discussion about the different ways um, in which you can get pregnant without necessarily having intercourse. Given that the whole process of assisted reproduction actually involves a lot of effort on the part of the lady. So being able to have uh, medicines for ovulation induction, being ha- able to have ultrasounds that monitor the levels of the eggs, having those eggs harvested, and then having a procedure to put the fertilized egg back inside the womb. All of these things are processes that require access to the vagina. So if you're somebody who has very tight pelvic floor muscles or diagnosis of vaginismus or, you know, you you have uh, real fear about being examined and assessed, then all of these steps will be challenging and they will need you to have either sedation or which is not always the best thing uh, for you even if you're not focused on having intercourse it is helpful to either see your physiotherapist or a sex therapist or your gynecologist to help you train yourself to relax either with the help of your own fingers or with dilators to allow you either to be examined or assessed or at least have an ultrasound probe be inserted into the vagina so that you can have your ovaries monitored i have had couples who have Uh, tried a home remedy which is just ejaculating into a cup and sucking it up either with a syringe or a drop and squirting the semen around the vulva or just inside the entrance to the vagina and they've managed to get pregnant that way but kind of sidestepping the pleasure of having great sex or being able uh, to be examined by your doctor for not just for pregnancy but for other purposes as well Because you might need a gynecological examination Even if you start bleeding If you got pregnant and you start bleeding Then you need your doctor to be able to examine you And assess you and treat you So each of these small steps are just as important For that couple It's not just about getting pregnant There's more things that are involved around it
1: Right After unconsummated marriage The next question is related to orgasms So a lady asked I have been told I need to have orgasm In order to get pregnant Is this true?
0: This myth is very common. No. Um, As I talked in my podcast about becoming orgasmic as well, if you look at human evolution, um, there's a big difference between men and women. Um, Men... Have to get aroused, which means they have to get an erection and then they need to ejaculate. Now, we also know that in men there's a difference between the experience of orgasm in their brains and the actual process of ejaculation, but without the ejaculation, the man cannot reproduce. So the fact that a man can't ejaculate can seem very, very threatening to him. On the other hand, for a woman who is a receptive person um, to the semen, having or not having an orgasm doesn't actually affect the process of fertilizing the egg. Having an orgasm certainly for the woman makes for a much better bonding experience with the man that she's having sex with. Um, And in a way, this delay in experiencing an orgasm for women was beneficial in the past because she didn't actually get attached to the person she was having sex with unless she actually got pregnant with that person. If that person stuck around, and this is why women tend to orgasm better with the same partner as they get more experienced with their sexual activity and she's able to communicate more openly with her partner about what brings about her orgasms. And the longer that partner sticks around, the better the bonding process and the better Her understanding that this person will be a father. So when she does get pregnant, she's already attached to this particular person. So her ability to get pregnant is not affected by her ability to orgasm.
1: Okay. Ma'am, the next question. We haven't had time to enjoy our relationship after we started having sex and got married. What is the ideal time to be able to have a baby?
0: This is a really important question because it has so many layers of beliefs around it. It has beliefs about the fact that there is such a time as a perfect time to have a baby. Um, it has beliefs around the fact that you have to be able to enjoy your relationship and sex and then having a baby will mean that you never get to enjoy sex and a great relationship again. It also has a lot of limiting beliefs around the fact that there is a certain standard or norms that other people get to decide about when you should have your baby. So let's address each one of them separately. Number one, um, yes, in terms of health and fitness, You might say there is an ideal time for human beings to conceive and produce a child. And for women, that tends to be between, you know, between the ages of, say, 21 and 22 and maybe 28 and 29. And for men, they never really stop being fertile. But the younger the man is, um, especially in 20s, 30s or 40s, then the healthier the babies tend to be. We also know from the health of the mother, the optimal health of the mother and the father, that if you have your child between the ages of, say, 20 and 30 or 35, you've still got your own energy and vitality and health by the time your child is growing up and leaving home to pursue university studies, etc. On a practical point, the more you delay your pregnancy, the older you're going to be as well. One of the other things to also remember is it's not taken for granted that as your age increases, you're going to age, you're going to become old and decrepit and horrible. So I want you to de-link those two beliefs. You can still have your energy and vitality, even if you choose to have a baby slightly later. That's that's not a problem if you focus on your health and nutrition and your exercise and well-being. So that's that, that's not to be taken for granted that just because you get older, you're going to become, you know, infirm. Not for sure. The second issue is nobody else should be deciding when you have your baby. You as a couple have the right and privilege to decide when the right time to have a baby for you is. And both of you need to be on the same page about it. Regarding your relationship, your finances, who's going to look after the baby because the baby needs you. Baby needs both of you if both of you can be around. But At least it needs the mother. Whether you have help at home um, what the expectations of other relatives? What is their health like? So, if you're going to have a baby, and then um, because, because I have a couple right now where the mother has uh, breast cancer. And uh, uh, she has been given, say, maybe a year or two years. And she's putting pressure on the couple. Please, please, please. I want, to have, I want to see my grandchild. I want to hold my grandchild before I die, blah, blah, blah. So it's not just that she wants to see a grandchild. You also have to consider you have your baby. And if you're the only couple, you don't have any brothers or sisters and your parents live with you. In her last days, you're going to be spending most of your time looking after a dying mother. You're going to be absent for your child emotionally and physically for that duration. So unless you've made this explicit between the two of you, you don't want to be putting your child through that. So this is also this important understanding. It's all about communicating with each other about how your life is going to be impacted once you have the baby and how it's going to impact other functions or other roles that you have in your life.
1: And yes, here is the last question. We want to start planning for a baby soon. What test do we need to do?
0: There is a huge long list and um, requests that people have about pre pregnancy testing and counseling. And a lot of times, when you approach a doctor for pre pregnancy counseling, they will have a set uh, kind of questions for both the mother and father and a set requirement of tests, depending on the challenges they may have faced until then. Uh, when I get couples who have not got any particular health challenges, and they haven't actually started trying for a baby which means that they're still using contraception i go through all of these details about what happens when they stop ha- stop using contraception about their the questions they need to answer before they actually conceive a baby and the various challenges they'll face once they have conceived the kind of tests uh, that currently we have available are really very very Uh, Long, You can go all the way into genetic testing, depending on what's happening with each person's family history and why they came with that question. If they have no antecedent family history of any kind of genetic disorders or problems or disabilities, it's not something I recommend on the first visit. Some basic tests is to look at both of their health and well-being. So um, looking at their blood count, looking at their blood group compatibility, looking at... um, Their nutritional status, understanding where they are with their uh, use of uh, drugs, alcohol, smoking, etc., their liver function, kidney function. Um, And for the man, his semen count, uh, sperm count is probably the first count. For the woman, particularly, one test that is recommended is to test for whether she's immune to an infection called rubella. Uh, rubella is German measles, and for men, many youngsters today, they're already vaccinated. So they've had the measles mumps and rubella vaccine when they were children. If they live in countries or places where the cold chain may not be maintained, sometimes they may not be immune to rubella. So, as a rule, we do test the lady to make sure she's immune to this infection. If the woman experiences German measles during a pregnancy, you may not always realize it. It's a little bit like having a common cold. But the effect on the baby can be disastrous depending on which stage the baby catches the infection. So things like meningitis and blindness, um, difficulties um, in the structure of the baby and functioning. So I would recommend uh, the lady to get a test to determine her rubella status. The second reason is also if she's not immune to rubella and she needs vaccination, then the vaccine is... um, A live attenuated vaccine, which means they will need to continue to use contraception for two months after they've had the vaccine before they can attempt to conceive. Thank you so much for your questions. It really informs all of the topics I cover in my podcast. Do keep them coming either on my Instagram handle or via my website. Until next time, remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with whoever you think needs to hear it. If you'd like to talk to me one-on-one for a personal consultation, get in touch with me via my website, www.dr.neelima, N-E-L-I-M-A, Deshpande, D-E-S-H-P-A-N-D-E.com. And you'll find a button there where you can click and book a slot with me. And I'll be sure to respond to any of your queries. Thank you. Disclaimer. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's or listener's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.